Well, hello, and welcome back to another scary, scary episode of Ghost Stories Told from the South. I am your host, Stephen LeBooth, and I got some skilly, skilly, skilly stuff for you today, boys and girls. <laughs> All right, man. Sorry I'm running late today. Stayed up late watching a movie with Jackson. Got me kind of tied up into it. Yeah, I stayed up to about... I know this ain't late to most people, but to me it was. I stayed up to about 10.30 watching it, and I did. I got too involved in this scary movie, and I still didn't get it done. So, but anyways, I got some great stuff for you. Sorry I'm late today, but uh, I'm glad you're here. Glad to see my numbers are still growing. Just want to say thank you so much to everybody. Keep passing the word around about Stephen Booth and his scary, scary, scary stories. But thank you from around the world. I got listeners everywhere from around the world, and I think it's freaking amazing. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, but uh, that's about it for updates and stuff. Um, yeah, I know. Halloween's over, and it's fucking stupid. But anyways... We still got ghost stories to tell. We're still going to cover some uh, asylums today. And like I said, around for the Thanksgiving episode, I think I've got something special for you. But anyways, let's dive into these to this week's stories. You know the routine, man. Grab yourself a nice blanket. Get by the fire. Cuddle up for a while. Get you some hot cocoa or tea or whatever you prefer to drink it. Maybe a little whiskey whiskey. But get ready to hear some scary insane asylum stories. <laughs> Alright. Alright, our first story is the Waverly Sanatorium in Lewis, Louisville, Kentucky. Sorry, I gotta readjust my mic because I gotta Glit, get, get closer to the light. In Louisville, in Louisville, Kentucky, stands a loft, lofty, back, bat-winged Gothic building that has a reputation that fits its somewhat spooky appearance. The reputation as one of the most haunted places in America. Has been featured on such ghost uh, show, ghost story shows as Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, Paranormal Unlocked, and BuzzFeed Unsolved. Its name is the Waverly Hills Sanatorium, and in spite of its modern ghostly reputation, it was estab- established as the best hope of peace for people struggling with tuberculosis in the first half of the 20th century. I hate it when they do the parentheses crap. Okay. Even in the face of the noble institution of its administrators, Waverly Hills became the site of thousands of deaths in the face of a raging epidemic. Of a thin, irrecruitable disease. 
Here are just some of the horrible things that have led to the Waverly Hills reputation as it hotbedded of unquiet spirits. Waverly Hills isn't or Waverly Hills was not originally a hospital. It was a home with its own little schoolhouse. As Kentucky Historian Institutions explains, the land was originally the family home of Major Thomas H. Hayes, who bought the land outside of Louisville, Kentucky, on which the senatorium now stands in 1883. There were no schools in the area, so Hayes decided to build a one-room school for his children. The teacher he hired was named Lisa Lee Harris, who, who was a big fan of the long series of novels by Sir Walter. Scott, Sir Walter Scott, known as the Waverly Novels and asked Hayes if she could name the school the Waverly School. Hayes agreed, and Hayes agreed, and in fact, he liked the name enough to call it the entire property, Waverly Hill. By the early 20th century, excuse me, tuberculosis was sweeping the nation. In Louisville, Louisville, I'm not for sure if it's Louis. It's probably Louisville, but I've always called it Louis. But it is Louisville. Was particularly hard hit because of its growing industrial economy <coughs> and location within the Ohio Valley. Both of which contracted to a lack of fresh air flow through the city. The Board of Tuberculosis Hospitals was formed in 1906 to find an an appropriate location for, well, a tuberculosis hospital. And Waverly Hills was thought to be an ideal spot due to the distance from the city. Its quiet location and its high altitude contributing to air quality. The board liked the name Waverly Hill and kept it. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, <clears throat> oh, where was I? Contributing. Dang it, I hate it when I lose my spot. Was thought to be an ideal spot for the distance from the city. It is, and it's a quiet location, and it's high altitude, contributing to air quality. The board liked the name Waverly Manor and kept it, though at some unknown point, the second E was dropped. Oh, so there used to be two E's in Waverly. In the early 20th century, when tuberculosis was raging through, raging, there was no one, there was no known cure. And although the disease had around had been around since an antiquity. The source of the so-called White Plague was fully understood. As Atlantis Obscura explains, however, doctors at the new sanatoriums at Waverly Hills had noticed the patients who were able to rest and had access to clean air and sunshine seemed to do better than others. 
As a result, much of the treatment at Riverly Hills was based on that mental field re uh, references to uh, be as good vibes. The location of the hospital itself was meant to contribute to the atmosphere of peace and rest, with Weverly being placed on a tall hill surrounded by charming little woods with lots of access to the sun and fresh air. The original faculties at, the Weverly, at Weverly included two large open-air pavilions that were where the patients were... Place to receive their prescribed fresh air, or yeah, prescribed fresh air and sunshine. Abandoned online ads that other original treatments at Reverly included diets rich in vitamin A and C and protein and lots of bed rest. Obviously, these treatments were going weren't going to cure the disease. But the goal was to reduce suffering and, most importantly, help stop the spread of the infection. As the official Waverly Hills site explains, the original sanatorium was a two-story frame building with a full timber design. With an administration building and an open-air pavilion for the patients to be exposed to and to air and sun. The original building was meant to hold 40 to 50 patients at one time, roughly half male and half female. However, the tuberculosis reached the the tuberculosis reached epidemic put or the epidemic by 1910 in Louisville was particularly hard hit due to its low-lying position in the waters of the Ohio River. And according to the abandoned online, wa online Waverly was soon overwhelmed with over 140 patients in a faculty designed for 40 people. As a result, construction soon began on a much larger building for the... Uh, Patients and the faculty. In 1924, construction began at a new building that would be four stories of brick and concrete sprawling across 180,000 square feet, including separate rooms for patients rather than co communal ones, sunrooms, labs, and research rooms. This new hospital was designed to hold up to 400 patients. It turns out they would need the space by the late 1930s. Tuberculosis was the leading cause of death in Kentucky. And in fact, Kentucky led the nation in tuberculosis deaths due to the lack of the state funding and long-term treatment options and more permanent faculties like Weverly. Some 2,000 people a year were dying of tuberculosis in Kentucky. And that's not counting the United States. That's just in Kentucky. I mean, 
People think the uh, COVID thing was bad, but tuberculosis outbreak was a lot worse. While it might be nice to think about living in community like Waverly Hills, where the philosophy of treatment is sun, sunshine and good vibes, it's important to remember that tuberculosis was an incredible, highly contagious disease that was spending that was spreading at an epidemic proportions. If you went to Waverly, you were never going to come back. As the Waverly Hills site explains, the sanatorium became a self-contained community for not only the patients, but also the families of the community to its care. The community at Waverly Hills became essentially on its own city complete with its own zip code and post office. Much, uh, much of life's necessities were carried out within the community, including raising their own fruits and vegetables, raising, raising and slaughtering and butchering their own meat, which means they were self-sufficient. They grew their own vegetables and raised their own uh, cows, hogs, whatever, you know, to eat. Where was I? In maintaining, okay, maintaining their own, oh, and maintaining their own water treatment faculty, too. So that was pretty self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. Other amenities included laundry factories and auto maintenance garage. These faculties had to support not only the patients of Waverly, but also the doctors, nurses, and other infectious natures. Oh, wait. Sorry, wrong place. Nurses and other staff who worked at the sanatorium, who had to separate from the rest of society due to the disease infection's uh, nature. Likewise, the infected children and... The, the infected children of patients had, excuse me, had their own floor in the sanatorium where they had to live apart from the outside world. While it's nice to imagine Weverly's philosophy of making things at a pleasant, as pleasant as possible, for the patients suffering from the tuberculosis worked worked the fact is there is a limit to how pleasant you can make life for someone who's constantly coughing for someone who's constantly coughing up blood and mucus so while it's true that they that the most common treatments were exposure to sunlight and bed rest and healthy foods and fresh air the Waverly, the Waverly Hills Sanatorial Memorial Records show that several other methods were applied to patients, including surgical procedures or surgical methods that were coughing, that were cutting edge for the times. But that meant sound, that might sound barbaric now. This include. 
This included, perhaps most famously, artificially uh, pneumonia, which involved blowing air into other lung to other lungs itself or the cavity between lungs in order to artificially collapse the disease proportion of the lung, allowing it to rest. God, I hate it when they do that. Well, they tell a story and then they got to put in fucking parentheses of, oh, and I don't like reading that. Where was I? Showing allowed to rest and allowing the lessons caused by the tuberculosis to heal. The leisures, I mean. Patients who were unlikely survivors or survived the uh, procedure tried to, ma- tried to maximize rest to their lungs by lying on the side most affected by lesions restricting restricting the movement of the diseased lung normally with the p- posture and gravity for some time comp- uh, for some time a commonplace surgery for the treatment of tuberculosis was thiocoplasty which involves the removal of multi-ribs. Oh, my God. How the fuck would that fix anybody? Moving a fucking... Or taking away ribs. Wow. Uh, Removal of multiple ribs with intentions of collapsing the lungs. While doctors preferred preferred to only remove two or three ribs at a time, most patients required as many as eight removed for the technology to be affected, meaning they had to endure multiple painful surgeries. And see, that's messed up. I know they was doing stuff back then to try to get an edge on the medical and the science side and, do you know, to knock this disease out so it quit killing people. But some of the shit they did to people to cure stuff was fucking crazy. <clears throat> but I'm not taking up for these uh, wax, but at the same time, they didn't know, though, either. They was basically experimenting on human people going, oh, let's hope for the best. Yeah. For some time, the oh, yeah, I've already read that. It is impossible to say how many people died at Waverly Hills during its time as a tuberculosis hospital. But the fact is that during its years of operation, tuberculosis was the leading cause of death in Kentucky and had no known cure. So patients at patients <clears throat> at Waverly dying at a pretty steady uh, pretty steady rate, while the legendary while the legendary disease claims that some people died at Waverly are crossly exaggerated. Live Science City's historians who say the actual number is more like 8,000 total 
with a record of 150 deaths in 1954, which was the uh, height of the epidemic. Either way, there was no shortage of dead bodies that dead bodies that had to be moved out of the sanatorium. The patients seeing corpses being wheeled out on on the regular would be pretty, uh, you know, it'd be pretty depressing watching that as a patient. Uh, to Weverly's uh, No Boomer's Approach to Medical Treatment. As a result, for the purpose of maintaining a high moral among the patients, populous as possible doctors and staff would move bodies in, in secret. As Atlantis Obscura explains, the hospital host uh, hospital housed a secret tunnel through tunnel there, which the administration would wheel the bodies of those who had died to their to the disease. This enclosed tunnel led from the hospital to the train tracks at the bottom of the hill, where the bodies could be lowered to trains that would carry them away. Perhaps needless to say, this grim passage earned itself an equally grim nickname, the body cut. Oh, the body shoot, I mean. Although Waverly although Waverly Hills did their best to make life as comfortable as possible for their patients and their families, nothing was going nothing was going to truly make things better until a cure for the disease was found. As luck would have it, in 1943 saw the introduction of a new antibiotic called streptomycin that was an effective combat against the infectious disease. However, as a Kentucky historian institutions explains, these treatments was not made available to the patients at Waverly until 1949. Once it was, excuse me, though new, new patients, new, uh, new patients could now be treated at a regular hospital as outpatients. Slowly but surely, the population of Waverly Hills was decreasing, but like in a good way. Abandoned online records that the number of patients dropped from 373 in 1950 to 293 in 1960. And then in 1962, Waverly closed as a tuberculosis hospital and all the patients were transferred to a regular hospital. The buildings set empty for nearly a year before the faculty was reopened in 1963 as Woodhaven Gerotic Center, a live live in nurse nursing faculty for the elderly patients with dementia and other issues, or had some severe mental disabilities. Woodhaven operated in the capital caps cap uh, in 
Woodhaven operated in its cap tip cap in its size until 1982 when it was closed by the state. A grand jury found multi multi multiple instances of patients abuse and signs of neglect of the faculty itself. Woodhaven was closed and all its patients were transferred to another care faculty. According to the Kentucky Historical Institutions, after Woodhaven caught the anyways, after the after Woodhaven the old folks home closed for criminal for criminal abuse, the majority of land and buildings were sold off to developers who intended to use the main building as a minimum security state prison. However, a massive wave of protest from locals squashed its plan, and the backup plan of turning the building into apartments also collapsed due to lack of funds in 1996. Waverly Hills was purchased by a nonprofit entity group to build the most local possible thing for the location, the world's tallest statue of Jesus. The goal was to make a 150-foot tall statue on the uh, rooftop of the uh, senatorium, modeled after the famous statue of Christ at of Christ in Rio de Janeiro on the roof of the senator oh wait however the cost of the statue was to be estimated to be 4 million while the interior renovations turned the hospital into apartments and workshops workshop centers would have been between 8 million to 10 million Donations to the project totaled in a uh, mere 3,000, so the giant tuberculosis Jesus was canceled. The building and its surroundings were sold in 2001 to its current owners, Charles and Tina Mantangley who established the Waverly Hills Historical Society to raise money for the restorations of the building's interior. To, to this end, Waverly is now probably services, services as a haunted attraction with ghost tours and annual haunted house events. Let's be honest. It's no surprise that Waverly Hills Sanatorium is considered one of the most haunted places not only in Kentucky but in the whole United States. Despite it being founded on a principles of feeling good all the time no matter what your lungs are doing, it's still a big spooky building where thousands of people died before being wheeled through a body chute when they're Marilyn Manson surgery went bad. As Live Science explains, very various ghost hunters and spokes chasers or spook chasers have reported encountering all sorts of creepy phenomenon within the walls of the long abandoned hospital. You've got your old standards 
like unexplained footsteps and the slamming of doors, weird noises, and so on. Obviously, as Waverly has a hospital, that sound of screaming patients is the thought to emanate from the long, empty rooms. The hallways are said to be the scene of phantom shadows running around. And, of course, there are numerous reports of footsteps, voices, and other sounds within the hallway known as the body shoot. Body shoot. Let me give it that body shoot. Man, I didn't realize this story was going to be so long. But it really broke in and got some of the background of it. American haunting, hauntings reported sightings of more specific apparitions, including a ghostly he harasser, harasser seen dropping off coffins at the back of the building, a woman with bleeding wrist begging for help, and a man in a white coat seen wandering around in a in the uh, trash kitchen, trashed kitchen full of broken windows and destroyed furniture, accompanied by the scent of food. As legend goes, the most haunted location in the entire place of the Waverly Hills faculty is the fifth floor. According to the American Hauntings, the legend is that the fifth floor was where the mentally disturbed patients were housed at at Waverly. The floor, particularly room 502, is the center of much of the good stories surrounding Waverly and was the area of prime interest for ghost hunting teens breaking into the abandoned hospital for years. These stories say that it is this floor that people have seen shapes moving in the windows, heard voices, and telling them to go in telling them to get out, even so they say jump to their own deaths. The stories say that a nurse was found in room five oh two in nineteen twenty eight, having hung herself from a light fixture. Apparently she was in despair over finding out that she was pregnant out of wedlock. See, back then, that was a big deal. You know, because if you got married out of wedlock, they would, you're a whore, you're a whore. So, yeah. Another nurse who worked in room 502 in 1932 is said to have thrown herself off the roof patio onto the ground below. Where's that? To the ground below. Though some say she was pushed. Mm. Voices in the Attic reports that some pregnant visitors have left extremely uncomfortable in room 502. While others have left supernaturally complained, complete, complied, Supernaturally complied to jump from the wind, from the window, 
even to the point of having to be talked down. As is frequently the case, however, reality comes in to pop the uh, to poop in to poop in the potty. American Haunting explains that the legendary fifth floor of Waverly Hills was not at any point used to house or confine mentally ill patients. Its residents was just a were just as free to move about the floor as patients on any other floor. In fact, the floor was designed for its exact purpose. With two with two wards centered around the nurses station that were glassed in all sides in order to maximum sunlight. According to Waverly Treatment Philosophy philosopher, this glassed-in wards did, however, lead to rooftop patios such as the one on the legendary one on the legends say the nurse jumped from, and from which visitors alleged they have felt complaining to leap forward, complaining to leap forward. To further kill the buzz, there are no records of any nurses' suicides during Waverly Waverly Hears Heals years of operation. And that's more and and what's more, room five oh two has no means by which a nurse could have hung herself. The room was the room has no rafters. The sprinkler pipes that existed in the room were not there and were not added until 1970. And the light fixture in the room is too far to delegate to support the weight of a person. The only source ever exceeded by the people telling these stories of room 502 is now deceased former staff member who would have been in elementary school age at the time of the nurse's alleged death. But C2, that's what I don't understand. That's what I think's crazy. Just because they didn't report it don't mean it didn't happen. Because, you know, that's bad business. That's just bad publicity. So, you know... They just didn't say nothing. They told their, uh, they probably kept it under wraps and just told the family. You know, people don't think about that. Outside of the fifth floor, there are a number of other commonly reported apparitions around the grounds of Waverly Hills Senatorial. Voices in the, uh, Voices in the Attic records that, records the story of one famous enough to have a name. Timmy, the ghost of a young boy who wanders the halls, according to the stories. Timmy moves around the hospital, either playing with his own leather ball or seeing someone else to play with. Some guests have reported bringing balls of their own for Timmy 
only to only to kick them, see those game balls floating down the halls carried by an invisible hand. Now, that would fucking scare the shit out of me. I'm sorry for cussing like that, but that would scare the goddamn watoot of that. I'd piss my pants. If I seen a ball get picked up and then start bloop, bloop, going down, I'd fucking run. Other common sightings include an older woman with chains around her wrist. Often believed, believed to have been a resident when the building was a carryout tread. Anyways, it was a sinner. Apparently, this ghost howls for help. Howls for help only to run away screaming when anyone approaches her. Another notable apparition is known as the Creeper due to its creepy crawling movements up and around the walls, ceilings, and floors. It is said that the proximity to the uh, Creeper brings with an overwhelming feeling of dread. While there's no explanation for who or what the Creeper might be. Some think it might have been a mistreated patient whose contorted appearance reflects the trauma they experienced in life. At any rate, that's that's a lot of darkness for a place founded on the uh, principle of fighting disease with sunshine. That one was pretty goddamn long, man. I didn't know that one was going to be so long. Jesus. I'll probably do one more then. I don't like to waste a lot of y'all's time. I like to waste y'all's time, but not that long. This one don't seem... Well, here's what I'll do. I'll do one more. I'm going to do... All right, now we're going to do one more, and it's pretty big, too. Let me get a drink of water. Yeah, that's what I mean, though. When I research these stories, sometimes on some places, I can find some big, juicy stories like that. And in some other places, I can only find, like, maybe one page of stuff. It's just weird. Some stuff, some places I can find a lot on and some I can't. All right. Let's go to the next one. <coughs> the next one we are going to do is the Rolling Hills Asylum. In Bethany, New York. The Rolling Hills Asylum, located in East Bethany, New York, was originally known as the Genesee County Poor Farm and was established in the cold winter of 1826. A poor farm or poor house 
excuse me, was an institute built by the government or a charitable organization to provide housing to orphans and widowed women and other children, the disability and mental illness, and minor criminals. The residents were called inmates regardless of their reason for being there. If, if that gives you any hint as how they were treated during their stay. The Genesee County Poor Farm was an actual farm. The farm itself was self-sufficient with residents tending to land and animals as part of their chores. The ground res- resembled a reformatory. These types of these types of structures were common in the United States during the 19th during the 19th century and in the 20th century. Prior to the uh, adoption of the social security program in the 1930s, there is also a record of cemetery of a cemetery located on the grounds of the farm. But it has not yet been discovered. The county would bury those who had no family on the land. The cemetery itself has faded away over the years. With stones crumbling and wearing away in the woods. When the Gen C County Poor Farm opened its doors in 1827. There was a. It, this was written about. And it, this was written about it in the Beethoven Times newspaper. Notice is hereby given that the Genesee County Poorhouse will be ready for the recipients of paupers on the first day of January 27th. In other words, that's when they're going to open their doors to the public or to the people that need it. The overseers of the poor of the several towns of the county of Genesee are requested. In all cases of removal of paupers to the county, to the county poorhouse, to send the, to send with them their clothing, beds, bedding, and such other uh, articles belonging to the people as many as as many god damn it as many may be necessary and unuseful to them the following are el- eligible for as- assistance hubble tool drunk or drunk oh wait this is the these are the uh, it's putting this in the paper of who can come to this place. Uh, it says uh, humbled tools, drunkards, that means alcoholics, lunatics. Oh my God, why do they do that? Give me a minute. All right, I am back. The lunatics, which mean back, that's what they called you if you were a little crazy, a little off in the head. And 
uh, poppers. That means you uh, have no way of making an income, I guess. And basically uh, the homeless people like that, I guess. Just basically some of your uh, people who weren't all right in the head, maybe some of your homeless and some of your women that didn't have a place to go, like, say, because back then, your, your husband's always worked and provided, and if he died, the women were screwed, so. Anyways, times truly have changed. Thankfully, anyway, we refer to and treat the less fortunate members of our society. The Rolling Hills Asylum is is it. Asylum, as it is known now, witnessed over seven uh, one thousand seven hundred documented deaths on the property, with hundreds more unrecorded. It is now known as the second most haunted site in the United States. A few tragic. Okay. Now, our next uh, little chapter on this is called The Rolling Hills and Her Residence. A few tragic stories rolled out of Rolling Hills, each of heart, each as heartbreaking as the, the last. One tragic story involved a resident named Roy. Roy suffered from extreme... giantism which means he was growing fast and he was becoming a big person quick a physical deformation that left his face deformed his hands and feet oversized and his height well over seven feet Roy Roy was the son of a predominant banker in New York and he was sent to live at the asylum because his family constructed him as an embarrassment and see, that's what's sad. Back then, if you had money or didn't, I mean, that's what a lot of these people would do. They would just, especially if they had money, they would just dump them off here and be like, I don't want them seen around our family here. We'll give you money to take care of him, but he's an embarrassment. And that's sad, but that's what they would do. He was brought to the insane asylum when he was 12 and died there at the age of 62. He loved opera music and was known in the asylum as a kind, gentle-hearted man. Today, visitors see his hulking shadows lurking throughout the building. One story recorded by Weird N.J., told by the owner of the building, Sharon, truly captures Roy's purity. Sharon tells a story about running into a rat in the uh, infirmary about two months after moving into the moving into Rolling Hills. Terrified by it, she screamed and ran away. The very next day, she found the rat dead on the stairs. Blood oozed from its mouth, as if its neck would its neck had been broken. On the wall above the rat was a giant bloody handprint. Sharon believes that the ghost of Roy witnessed her distress and killed the rat for her. Others at the asylum were power hungry and not as kind. One of the nurses in the infir infirmary, Nurse Emmy, was known for her abuse and cruelty. 
She was feared by the inmates and staff and was even rumored to have performed satanic rituals and a black magic on the residents. Reports have circulated that Nurse Emma still walks the halls of the Rolling Hills. As visitors hear crackling like laugh coming from the infirmary today. There have been other reports of cruelty from the staff. Like shoving hot dogs down their throat. No, I'm just kidding. I just threw that in there. Up to the staff and members. But the residents of the, of the asylum did their best in striking together and protecting each other. Another Another paranormal hotspot in the asylum is a room known only as Hades Room. Located on the first floor of the East Wing. <coughs> this room was... This room has captured voice recorded of an elderly woman yelling, Hello! It is believed that this is the voice of a former patient named Haiti, who was blind and used to yell hello all day and night to get the attention of the staff and the nurses. Moving upwards in the building, the second floor of men's dormitory is referred to as the shadow hallway. A finding a fitting name since this is since this is a hallway where visitors almost always see shadows, figures, moving about. They walk in and out of doorways, across halls, peek out from the behind the doors, and even sometimes are seen crawling across the floor. Our next story is called The Downs or Downstairs All Alone. The psychic ward and solitary confinement locations in the, in the asylum are some of the most sinister. Iron brackets protruded out of the concrete walls of, the, of a small room in the basement, which is believed to have been used to shackle unruly inmates. Sharon explains the horror of this and that it was always just criminal it was always just criminals who were being locked up here. She says back in the day they did not understand that you probably had a medical issue. You were, um, okay, uh, issues. Okay, epilepsy. They didn't, you know, if you might have had that, they didn't know what disease you had, um, and, you know, just basically anything. They just didn't know you were sick and messed up in the head or something. It was like, stick in there. You were, or if you were an unruly wife back in the day, there is, then if, God dang it, then if a man could control his wife, he'd say, I'm going to lock you up. There are many, many reasons why they locked you up. So this area was not good. All right, the next little story is called Dead Silence. 
The morgue, of course, is another hotbed for ghostly activity in the asylum. In this room, there is a large emblaming table, two large refrigerators, and a huge steel sink. The morgue is riff, riff with paranormal activity to this day, such as items being moved, disembodied voices, and visitors even reported being shoved down into the cold tile floor. <coughs> <coughs> okay, uh, where are we? There are many there. Okay, this next one's called Rolling Hills Asylum, a home away from home. There are many theories as to why the asylum is so haunted. One is that it was the only home that some of the residents ever knew. Some of them lost their parents, their homes, their spouses. They built relationships and friendships at the asylum that meant more to them than what came before. They got through tough times with the other inmates here. They're attached to the property. It was home to them and... Many of the spirits of Rolling Hills Asylum considered it just that. An asylum. A safe place. A place where they could call home. Well, like I said, guys. Sorry uh, that first story was kind of long. But I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope it kind of gave you a feel. Of that one. But, yeah, man. Oh, God. Well, guys. I just want to say thank you for listening. And man, I did. This is crazy. I've never had two stories that lasted almost an hour. Freaking cuckoo, man. But you guys be good. Be real. We'll see you next Saturday. This has been Stephen LaBooth for Ghost Stories Told from the South. I want to say I appreciate the love. I'm still trying to get my YouTube channel done straight and done right. So go there too if you want to check out some old stuff. But I'm gonna try. I'm trying to get it caught up. I just got this new editing stuff that I do my videos on and when I live stream, and I gotta get it fucking figured out. I'm not that much of the tech guy. I'm starting to get. You know, I've only been doing this for four or five years, so I'm still trying to get the kinks out and work on that stuff. But until next time, guys, be good, be creepy, and be scary, guys. And remember, it's time to make them bonfires in the backyard and tell some spooky stories around it and scare people. <laughs> All right, guys. We will holler at you later. Until then, be scary, man. Love you. Bye.